Good morning, everyone. Uh, like Jeff said, we're in Romans chapter 8, and if you do need a Bible, we're going verse by verse through the Bible, so you need one if you don't have one. So, so if you don't have one, that means you need one. So raise your hand, and we'll get one to you. But um, Romans 8, uh, verse 26 uh, to 30 is uh, where we're at today. Um, it's my birthday. Yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. Yeah, just putting it out there. I meant to mention it last week. So that you have time and everything, but uh, it's not too late. You got your phones with you. No, just kidding. Um, yeah, so 38 years old today. Um, hey, I, I wanted to mention to you, I'm really excited. Life groups are coming up starting in September, and if you are newer to the church, uh, in August is a great time for you to be able to hear about all the life groups that are available and to get into a small group community for the coming fall quarter. Uh, as a church. So I'm really looking forward to that, and I just wanted to make sure to mention that uh, to you. But Romans 8, verse 26 to 30 is where we're going to be this morning. I just want to read this to you, and then we're going to pray and ask the Lord's help in understanding, and then we'll jump into it. So verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And, verse 27, he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know, verse 28, that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also glorified or justified. And those whom he justified, he also uh, glorified. So, Father, we just come to you this morning, and um, God you are infinite and beyond us, yet we believe about you that you aren't this esoteric, unknowable being, but that you in your infinite glory and power and wisdom and authority are able to communicate with finite beings like us. And Lord, we believe that you have chosen in large part to reveal your infinite self to us by your written word. And therefore, Lord, we believe that we are able, by the aid and help of your Holy Spirit and the minds that you have given us, to understand what you have written to us, that the knowable God would make himself known to us in the pages of Scripture. And so, Lord, these words, every one of them today, inspired by you, breathed out by you, we're asking, Lord, and praying that you'd help us now to gain an understanding. It's not ours naturally. So we pray, Lord, that you would help us, Father. We ask that you'd open up our minds and our hearts, Lord, that you'd cast out distractions from us right now in this moment, and that you'd be with me, Lord, my mouth, my heart, as the teacher, as, as an interpreter, Lord God, that we might come to a deeper understanding of what you say, that we might know you 
and that we might know, Lord, what you say about us. So we're praying, Lord, and asking for your help, believing that this is an interaction, an exchange, that we need the aid of your Holy Spirit to be able to enter into. So we trust you, Lord. We believe in you. We pray to you, Lord, and, and are confident of this. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Amen. So yesterday, uh, Christina and I, uh, yesterday afternoon, we took our girls to uh, a really, it was a special wedding for us. A couple friends of ours uh, got married. And it was just one of those weddings that was beautiful in like every way imaginable. You know, it was just like the scene was incredible. This cool like oak tree and these benches and pews out there and the sun shining. It was just glorious and beautiful. But then also like not just the setting and the, you know, external beauty of it, and not even just the beauty of what marriage is and everything, but it's kind of one of those weddings for us. You know, I'm sure you've been to one like this where it's like you know that you know that you know that you know that like these people coming together is just so good. You know, they are both just gifts to each other. It was kind of one of those days, you know. I'm not saying I've been to a lot where it's like, oh, I hope, you know, this is a, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. I'm not saying that, you know, like every, if I was ever at your wedding, I felt the same way, you know. <laughs> But, uh, but it was just one of those. It was just one of those where it was just like such a celebration. And um, during the dinner time afterwards, uh, you know, a few people came up and gave speeches. And the father of the bride, you know, he stood there. And he just, a great Christian man. He had beautiful words to share. And, uh, you know, he was just talking about the process of raising a daughter and releasing her and everything like that. It was just really cool. So anyways, after that, I went over, and I just wanted to talk to him and his wife. I've met them before, known them a little bit, but just wanted to talk with them and just kind of hear a little bit more, and they were just sharing with me, you know. They said, you know, Nate, it's, it's uh, you know, you raise a child, and, you know, you're just praying. You're just praying the whole way through. You're praying, and as she went through every stage of her life, uh, we prayed. You know, we cried out to God. There were times we didn't know what to do or what answers she needed, but we prayed. But we always, as she was going through her different seasons of life, and, and, as, we, and as we cried out to God for her, we would also so often remember that out there somewhere, there was probably a young man who was also going through life. And we didn't know what his family situation was or his understanding of, of the gospel or the word of God or anything like that, but we also prayed for him. And we were just praying that, you know, he'd be preserved and that he'd be protected and that he'd make it through. And now for us to see our daughter and our new son kind of come together, it's like just this desire, the, the desire is accomplished and is sweet to the soul and just this like exhaling kind of feeling of, yes, you know, like what a cool thing that God has done. And, you know, that's the way, uh, you know, godly parents just feel, you know. I was thinking about that because this text in front of us, I think, and of course a more perfect and pure way, we need to know that the Holy Spirit has for each one of us, if you're a child of God today, if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit has an, a parental heart for you and for me. He has a longing and a desire, just like those parents looking as much as they could in their, you know, finite minds into the future of their daughter, uh, the Holy Spirit 
of course, in a more perfect and pure kind of way. He looks into your life. He looks into your heart. He looks into my heart. And he has a desire. He has a longing. And he has something that he is interceding to the Father about for you and uh, for me. So what we're going to look at today is how the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit's longing and deep desire is for the children of God. What is it? Wouldn't you like to just get into the mind of the Holy Spirit for a moment and just know, like, what is it that you want for me so badly? And then secondly, we're going to see one of the chief ways in which God answers the cry of his own spirit and unfolds the spirit's will inside of our desires. That's what will be in verse 28 when we learn that God works all things together for good for his children, for his people. So we'll attempt to understand that in the appropriate and, and accurate kind of way. I think there's maybe some ways we've understood that that aren't always accurate. So we want to understand that in an accurate way. And then Lastly, we're going to see the final destination and that in the, in the eyes and mind of God, we will get there by the power of the Holy Spirit. So a kind of real hope-filled kind of thing that we're going to look at uh, today. So the first word of the verse, uh, first verse that we're going to study today is found there in verse 26. You probably saw it there, the word likewise. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. That word likewise helps connect us to what we studied uh, last week. And we saw Paul tell us last week that in suffering and in the brokenness of this world, there's a couple different entities that are groaning. First of all, the creation is groaning. Why is the creation groaning? Well, the creation is groaning because it is under depravity. It is under the decay and the corruption of sin. So what creation is groaning for or looking forward to is maybe another way we could say it. What is creation looking forward to? Creation is looking forward to you and me being remade and reformed into the sons and daughters of God that we are positionally right now, but we have not yet experienced. In other words, the creation is looking forward to our new bodies, to heaven, because at that moment, the creation itself will also be, like us, remade. And the new heavens and the new earth will come. So the creation is groaning, but we also saw last week that we ourselves are also groaning. And that groaning that we saw there is Christian groaning. It's not just human groaning. So you know what human groaning is, right? I mean, uh, like this morning when our alarm clocks uh, went off, uh, that was human groaning. Like my alarm clock went off and there wasn't like this like, yay! No, I've been waiting for that sound, you know, the last few hours. Just couldn't wait, you know? No, it was like just the groaning of physically, I have limitation. And there's you know, just the groaning of the human condition, everyone has that. But Christian groaning is a groaning that comes from knowing I'm saved, but I have yet to really taste the fullness of my salvation. I'm redeemed, but I've yet to, to receive and to taste the fullness of my redemption. I'm adopted, but I'm waiting for my adoption. I'm born again, but I really don't feel a lot of times like a new creation, and I'm waiting for the new uh, body, okay? So that's part of where our groaning uh, comes from. And what Paul told us last week is he said, one of the ways you get through that is with hope, biblical hope. Biblical hope is setting our minds a confident expectation on the coming, the return of Jesus Christ. That day's coming. So let's just like have that hope in our hearts right now to, at the outset of this whole thing today. Let's just kind of start off that way. Jesus came once, 
Jesus is coming again, all right? So we just have that hope. That's our confidence. That's our future. That's our glory. And Paul tells us that's part of the way that we endure the groaning that exists for us as Christian people. But is that the only way that we get through? Is it just biblical hope? Well, Paul says here in verse 26, likewise. So there's something else that helps us. It's not just for us to have hope. There's some other way that we are helped. And here's what he says. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. He doesn't say the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, plural. Although he does. But here he's highlighting the singular weakness that we feel in that groaning. The Spirit helps us in that. How does the Spirit help us in that weakness? Well, here's what he says. He says, because we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. What we're learning here is that the Holy Spirit intercedes for you and for me If we're children of God, he intercedes for us. He prays for us. He communes with the first person of the Trinity, the Father, about us. The Holy Spirit resides inside of us, and he is communing with God and conversing with God the Father about you and me. Now, I'm sure that there's probably a few of you here today who have been taught or told previously that when Paul says that the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be uttered, that what that is, is the New Testament gift of tongues. And, uh, you know, I've taught about the Holy Spirit a lot of different times here in the church. I did a series called The Spirit-Fueled Life. You've heard me teach about the gift of tongues. And I find no biblical evidence that the gift of tongues is not available to Christians today. I believe that it is a gift that is available to believers today. I don't think every believer has it. I don't think it's mandated for anyone that's filled with the Spirit. But that is an unknown language that we pray to God so that we can pray. Paul is not talking about that here. He's saying it's the Spirit who's praying, not us. And they are groanings that cannot be uttered, not a prayer language before God. So this is something totally different. This is the Spirit inside of us crying out to and communing with the Father about us. And the reason that Paul says that is so beautiful and so helpful to you and to me is because, very simply, verse 26 We don't know how to pray. We so often don't know what to pray for as we ought to. Have you ever discovered that to be true? Some of you don't want to nod your head like, yeah, that's true, because you're like, I don't know if I want Nate to know. I don't know how to pray. But it's true. It's right there in the Bible. We so often don't know how to pray as we ought to pray. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't pray. In fact, we're told time and time again in the New Testament that we're to ask and we're to seek and we're to knock. We're to pray according to the will of God. We are to intercede. We are to supplicate. And there are other versions of prayer that have nothing to do with requests. We're to praise God. We're to worship God. We're to enjoy the presence of God. We're to adore God. But so often when it comes down to the making a request to God, it's confusing. Sometimes we just don't know how to do it. Frankly, a lot of times we know the categories of people that we're to be praying for, but we just don't really know what to pray for in those individual categories. For instance, if someone in your life is going through financial just turmoil, 
big trial. The house is foreclosing, getting foreclosed on, uh, finances are being depleted, and all of that. And they come to you, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? Well, in the natural man, I really kind of only know one thing to pray. To pray. I, I just think, well, I mean, you're, you're suffering. This is a big trial. I'm going to pray for God's provision. From my vantage point, I'd love to see the house get saved. I'd love to see you be able to stay there. I'd love to be able to see you made whole. I'd love to be able to see all of that. But the reality is, I don't know what God is doing with this in your life. I don't know that, that, that if tomorrow a $250,000 deposit was just miraculously made into your bank account, I don't know that you would pray. I don't know that you would continue to seek the Lord. I don't know that you would continue to get everything from this that you need to get out of it. I don't know that. So I'm going to pray with my intelligence, but the reality is so often I don't know how to pray. Someone wants healing. I'm going through a suffering. I'm going through pain. I need that healing. I need that touch from the Lord. And from my vantage point, I know what I want to pray. I pray, God, would you take away this sickness? God, would you take away that disease? God, would you help them? Would you bless them? Would you prosper them physically and within the realm of their health? But the reality is, I so often just don't know what God is doing. God, how are you going to use this in your life? And, and is he, I know we're all going to eventually, I mean, unless you return for us, well, we're still in these bodies. I know we're all eventually going to expire and you're going to bring us to glory. I know eventually you're going to heal all of us. But right now for this, I, Lord, what are you doing? What's happening here? So often, we just don't know how to pray. So many times, things that I thought would be good were actually not good. And so many things that I thought would be a negative ended up being the greatest positive that unfolded in our lives. Our understanding is so limited. We're just right here, this big spectrum of life. We're just right in our little time-space continuum. We can't see the end from the beginning. We just don't know. My dad used to get a kick out of telling this story, and I think the church got a, more of a kick out of hearing him tell the story than actually the story itself. But I, it's just, it just was so embedded in my mind because he, he told it all the time. But uh, he just loved it. But it was like this story about this ancient civilization and this man, he owned a beautiful mare, a beautiful horse. And one day, his horse ran away. And his friends and family came to him. They said, oh, that's horrible. That's bad news. And he looked at them and he said, well, how do you know? And then eventually the horse came back. And when the mare came back, she had attracted this powerful, beautiful, glorious stallion. And they both came into the stall together, into the corral together. And he closed it up. Now he owns a mare and a beautiful stallion. And his friends and family said, oh, a stallion came. You now own a beautiful stallion. That's a good thing. And he said, well, how do you know? And then one day, you know, his son was out there trying to train the stallion and, you know, to work with it and everything, and it wasn't yet trained, and it bucked him off, and his son broke his leg. And his friends and family came and said, well, that's, that's bad news. And he said, well, how do you know? 
And then one day war broke out in their community and the generals came through and they were drafting all the able-bodied young men, but his son with a broken leg was not required to go into that vicious battle and war. And I guess the neighbors came and said, that's a good thing. And I guess he said, well, how do you know? And I don't know how the story ever ended. I don't know. I just like kept going. Like, how do you know? How do you know? How do you know? Like we just, our, the idea is our understanding is so limited. How do you know? How do you know? And so often we just have no idea what to pray for. We know what we want to pray for, but is this really the best? The good news here is that the Holy Spirit, well, he gets it. He knows how to intercede. He knows how to pray. He knows how to cry out to the Father on our behalf. And the Spirit, he says, himself is interceding for us with groanings too deep to be uttered. What we've learned now is that creation groans because it wants us to be glorified. That's just another way of saying it wants us to be resurrected, redeemed in heaven, new heavens, new earth. It wants our glorification because of sin, brokenness. It's under brokenness. It wants, it's groaning for that. We are groaning for the very same thing in ourselves. We want that glorification. We want that change. We want that transformation. Have you ever just been frustrated with feeling like, man, I'm wanting to become more and more like Jesus, but it just feels so slow? Well, the Spirit is also groaning, which is a hard thing for us to consider because the creation groans because it's not perfect. We groan because we're not yet perfected. But the Spirit groans, and He is perfect. How does He groan? He groans because He wants our perfection. He wants our glorification. In other words, when He's praying and crying out to God, He is praying and wanting for you and for me to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We pray for things all over the map. And we pray for things that have no relationship or no con- connection to being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. But the Spirit is yearning. He is pulling. He is desiring. We saw previously in Romans 8, Romans 8 verse 2, that there's a law of the Spirit, a principle of the Spirit. He is pulling and growing and desiring and yearning and groaning for us to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. I had the thought recently just thinking about the Holy Spirit, just thinking about my own life, my own growth. And I just was thinking, because you know, sometimes, I mean, I'm sure you've had this experience where you're trying to maybe mentor somebody, you want somebody to grow or something like that, and you're just feeling like, man, this is kind of, feels like it's taking a while. You know, I'm I'm wanting it, I'm wanting it, I'm desiring that, it feels like it's taking a while. And I just kind of had this thought of like, imagine how the Holy Spirit feels about me. Just like, Nate, okay, here we go. I'm going to teach you this lesson for the 1,197th time. Here it is. Here's the lesson, you know. Hope you get it this time. You know, like, oh, okay. Well, that was good. Hmm, that was good. So good. I forgot it, you know. Like, it's just the Holy Spirit, he's just wanting so badly for us to grow, to be transformed, to become more like Christ. And he, inside of us, is crying out to the Father uh, about this growth, and this transformation. We have a lot of confidence about it because he says in verse 27, and he who searches hearts, who's that? That's the Father, God. God searches hearts. He knows you better than you know yourself. I have like the worst memory 
You know, Christina like remembers all these things about her childhood and life growing up. I'm like, how do you remember these things? I did not remember stuff. I, I know I was there, <laughs> but I just I have a horrible memory. But God, He looks, He knows everything. He knows everything. Every thought you've ever had, every intention in your heart, He knows it all. He searches hearts. And if He knows you, He says also, and He knows what the mind of the Spirit is. So the Father knows you, and if he knows you, then of course he knows his own spirit. So the Spirit's searching you, the Father's searching you, the, the, the Spirit knows you, the Father knows you, and the Father knows his own spirit. So, because of all that, he says, we have this like conclusion, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So we have this confidence that the Spirit is interceding for us in this perfect, beautiful, powerful, wonderful way. I talked about a parental heart previously, but I know for me, my understanding is so limited. You know, every once in a while, parents will get the idea like, oh man, if I could just like arrange a marriage for my kids, you know, because I, I just really know, like I know, I really know. But the reality is I have no clue. I have no clue. I remember when my sister got married to my brother-in-law, I was like, and she started meeting him. I'm like, are you, are you sure? Are you guys sure? Are you sure? And he has been like the best thing in the world for our family. I, like, I got no idea. I had no idea. I had no clue. And uh, he's awesome. You know, and so, but the Spirit, he knows. Every request is in line with the will of God, the perfect will and heart of God. He knows. And so, this is then, verse 28, what we know. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All right, all right so we're going to take a moment now and unpack this. First of all, it starts out, verse 28, with, and we know. All right, now you and me, how do, how do, how do you and I know this? We, we know this one because this is a super famous verse, right? It's probably underlined in your Bible. It's if, if you have a loner Bible this morning, it's probably underlined in that Bible. You know, it's just a, it's a, it's a classic verse. You know, we've been, we got coffee mugs with this verse on it, you know, so like we understand this. But so, so we know, we know this verse. But Paul is writing to a group of Christians in Rome who'd never read this before. And he says to them, and we know and we know, we know this. We have this understanding that God is taking all of these things and he is working them together for good. For those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose, it's not really a qualifier as much as it is a description of his children. His kids are people who love him and are called by him. So God, for, the, for his children, God is working all things together for good in their lives. So we know that because this is a famous verse, but how did the Roman church know that? Well, maybe as they read this for the first time, they would kind of answer that question by saying, well, yeah, okay, yeah, do we know that? Yeah, of course we know that. Maybe probably part of it was just their own Christian experience. I mean, you just kind of go through life with the Lord and trials come, difficulties come, and you kind of look back and you say, you know, I wouldn't choose any of those things. I wouldn't volunteer for any of those things. If, you know, if, if the sickness came along again or the difficulty came along, I wouldn't raise my hand and say, oh, yes, me, pick, pick me for that trial and that difficulty again. However, uh, 
all, some of the lessons that I learned, some of the things that God did in my life through that time were so powerful and were directly connected to that experience. So yeah, I know that God works you know, these things uh, for good in my life. Maybe that was part of it. Maybe for the Roman church, part of it just came from studying their Bible. And what I mean by that is, at the time that Paul is writing, of course, the New Testament is in development. So their Bible was the Old Testament uh, completely, and then the New Testament was developing. So they were going back, and they're reading the Old Testament Scripture. And they're reading of all these saints in the Old Testament era who God was clearly working powerfully in their lives even when they couldn't see it. They would read, of course, of men like David, who Samuel whispered into his ear, anointed with him with oil, you're going to be the future king in Israel. You're the next king in Israel. As a young teenager, you're going to be the next king. And he goes out and slays Goliath, and people are singing songs about him and all that. Everything seems to be going well, but then he marries the present king, the current king. A man named Saul marries his daughter, and that man becomes jealous of what he sees in David and attempts over a dozen times to assassinate David. Sometimes we read that in the Bible, just like, oh yeah, and then he pulled out a spear, tried to kill him again, and it's just like another verse to us, but David lived it. He had, he had his father-in-law literally trying to kill him. And he's going through all that, running away in the wilderness, and eventually uh, declared and, and crowned as king. But during that time in the wilderness, God wrote songs through him, deepened his faith, developed a compassion and an ability to lead the people of God that was so strong and powerful and beautiful. God was working all of those evil things for good in David's life. They would maybe, as the Roman church, read of the life of Job, who lost everything, went through a season of great suffering, and then God restored it all to him in a twofold or double kind of way. And they could see behind the scenes that as Job held fast to his integrity in the midst of the trial, he felt like God's target, but he was actually God's trophy, and God was using Job to taunt the devil, you'll never have a follower like this. And he couldn't see that, but they would look in the Old Testament and read this account and see the faithfulness of God in this man's life. Or maybe they would go into the life of Joseph, who's a great example of what this Romans 8.28 principle or truth is all about. This man who, as a young man, received these dreams that one day he was, would ascend into a position of prominence, being a blessing to all of his older brothers, including and also his parents. But after that, his brothers sold him into slavery in Egypt. Eventually, he was put in prison in Egypt and thought he was forgotten, interpreted some dreams for some of Pharaoh's servants, thought maybe that would get him out of prison, but even then he was forgotten. But eventually, Pharaoh needed a dream interpreted, and Joseph was called for from the prison, interpreted Pharaoh's dreams accurately, was promoted and installed as the number two uh, man in all of Egypt and presided over a great uh, season of economic blessing so that Egypt could expand her borders. And through that time was reconciled with his brothers and with his family. And after their father died, his brothers were nervous. And Joseph said, don't be nervous around me because what you intended for evil, God intended for good. So the Roman church probably could have come to an understanding about God's purpose in this kind of thing by simply reading the Old Testament. But I think really 
when Paul says, we know to the Roman church, he's alluding not to their own experience primarily and not to the Old Testament primarily, but he's alluding to the cross of Jesus Christ. Because they would look back in their very recent history, just a generation removed from the brutal death of the Son of God, the slaughter of the Son of God. The disciples, do you remember on the road to Emmaus, they said to Jesus after he'd risen, but before they'd recognized him, they said, we thought he was the one. We thought that he was the Messiah. This thing fell apart in front of our eyes. How could this horrible thing have unfolded? And God took the worst moment in human history, the darkest moment in human history when his son was being slaughtered upon the cross and God used it to create through the resurrection the most beautiful message in human history. And the Roman church could look at the gospel itself and say, we know that God uses the ugliest things together for great good for his children, look at his own son. And so we as well, we know this. We know this to be true. Now remember that it is not our definition of good. It is the Holy Spirit's definition of good. This is connected to the concept of the Spirit groaning and interceding and pulling us forward and toward being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And I say that because a lot of times when I hear Romans 8, 28 taught, it sometimes borders on us being able to explain the suffering that we're going through. This is not a verse that means If you had a good fiancé and now your fiancé is no more, don't worry, you'll get a better fiancé. I can't make that promise. That might be so. That might be the case. That might be part of the way that God works it together for good in your life. But we do not know that. And so often that's the way that we want to think about it. You know, at this point, that's where stories come out. Like, I'm supposed to talk about Beethoven and how, you know, he, uh, you know, experienced when he became fully deaf. That at that point, that's when he wrote his greatest symphonies. Or, or uh, what was his name? Louis Braille. When he was injured as a little boy and he lost his eyesight, eventually the same all that took out his eyesight. Eventually, years later, he used that all to create the Braille language for those who could not see to be able to read by feel and by touch. And yeah, those are beautiful things. Those are beautiful stories. And they might be part of the way that God uses the suffering in your life to bring about great good. But so much of it you will never know and you will never see because what the Holy Spirit is desiring to do is not our version or definition of good, but His to conform us more and more into the beautiful image of Jesus Christ, to become more and more like the Son of God, to be changed and transformed from glory to glory. And so we have to be very careful at saying we understand how this is happening or what will happen or what will unfold. That's not it. We're to say, Lord, I know in the midst of this gritty ugliness, you are and will, it's not just that you can, but you've promised that you will hear the prayer of your spirit 
and that you will use it in my life to make me more and more like Jesus. And for that, I rejoice. I don't praise, I don't celebrate the fact that I'm in the suffering, but I'm so thankful for what you will do in my life as I pass through it with and in you. And so Paul here, he's just giving us this incredible, incredible truth from the Lord. Can you believe that today? Can you believe that God works all things, not some of the things, Not some of the things that you've gone through, not some of the pains that you've faced, but all things together for good in your life. Can you believe that? Can you trust the Lord for that? This is the Spirit's desire as he grows us, as he groans for us. He's pulling us towards glorification. All right, now let's close together in verse 29 and 30 and see this final thing. It's the Spirit's longing. It's where he wants to take us. And part of the way that he does it in our lives right now, he's working it in our lives for good within our lives. But he says in verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So Jesus is like our older brother. He's the first one glorified, the first one in the resurrected state, of course, winning it for us. So he's the firstborn of the first fruits from the dead. And those, verse 30, whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. All right, so we see here some beautiful words that describe us as God's children. We see, first of all, verse 29, that we were foreknown by God. That in advance, before we even existed, God knew us. And not just an intellectual knowledge, but a a familial, a, a relational connection and knowledge. He also, verse 29, predestined us for something specific. He predestined us to be conformed into the image of his son. In other words, what he's saying here is that's the Spirit's desire. He's groaning for that. God is then working all things together for that great good in our lives to produce that. Uh, So, you know, like when I was a kid, I used to go into the kitchen when my mom was baking and out of the oven would come these great cookies. And so I assumed, okay, as those things are coming out, then that means that the ingredients going in must also taste good. So let me taste those ingredients. So you taste a little flour and it's like, oh, that's gross. A scoop of butter, pop it in your mouth. That doesn't taste good. Can I taste some of that vanilla? Oh, That's gross. But all together, as it mixes together and is put in the heat, it produces something that tastes good. God is working all of these distasteful things together for the good. And what is the good? That we would be, verse 29, conformed to the image of his Son. And what we learn here is that you and I, if we're believers, we're predestined for that. It's so secured by God. This is his will for you and for me. He will bring that conformity into the image of Christ to pass. I'm just like, I trip out about that. And I think that for a billion years, I'm just, it's going to be so fresh to me. I'm not going to get over it. Because I want that so bad. I want to be more like Jesus. 
And I want you to be more like Jesus. I long for that. But the day is coming where that's actually really going to happen. You're going to look at me and you're going to say, man, Nate, like, you are so like Christ. I mean, it's amazing. You remind me of Jesus. And I am going to look at you and I am going to say, and you also remind me of Jesus. Like, it's amazing. I didn't think that before, you know? Like, so that's the way we're going to feel just being conformed into the image of uh, Christ. And not only that, but he says, and those, verse 30, whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. All of this we kind of get and understand up to this point. But then he says, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. The tense is very important. He doesn't say those that he called and foreknew and predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He justified them, past tense, and one day will glorify them. That would be great news. But he says, they are glorified. In other words, for all the struggles you feel and the slowness of sanctification that you feel, we've been going through Romans 6, 7, and 8, and you're feeling like, man, I'm tr- I want to grow. I'm trying to be sanctified. I'm trying to lay my body down before the Lord. I'm trying to put my members before him. I want him to grow me. As slow as that is for you, you need to understand that in the sight of God, in a sense, it's complete. It's already finished. It's already done. Paul said to the Ephesians that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And I think that we've got to get a hold of this truth. Because when we do, it sets us free from ourselves, from our thought patterns, from others. Paul said to the Corinthian church who was trying to judge him, he said, I'll not be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I won't even judge myself. I find an innocence within myself, but what good is that? I'm not even going to judge myself. God is my judge. And God, the righteous judge, is saying over his children, I've called you. I've foreknown you. I've predestined you to be conformed into the image of my son. I've justified you, and I have glorified you. These are terms, by the way, that I don't have my brain all the way around. I just know that when I get to the parts of the Bible that say things like, whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life, I just want to shout, believe in him. Would you believe in him? Would you trust in him? When I get to portions like this where I see, man, I'm called. God was calling and choosing and electing and and. I've been predestined to be conformed in his image. I then say, rejoice, celebrate. I don't know how they reconcile. I'm not God. But I just rejoice that they exist. But if you could get this truth into your mind and into your heart, I think it sets you free. Because too many of us, we live in the courtroom of God all the time. And God is there and he has banged that gavel down and he has said, You are justified. You are glorified. You belong to me. And we go, we're like, oh, okay. And then we leave. And then we say, I think I need to go back in that courtroom. And we come back in there. God, what do you say? Am I good? Are we good? And he bangs the gavel down again and he's like, you are justified. You are glorified. You belong to me. Okay, cool. And then we leave. And we go, wait, I don't know. Are we really okay? 
Are we really friends? You really like me? You really love me? Come back in. God, is everything okay? You are justified. You are glorified. And he bangs that gavel again. We've got to come to a place where we say, it's not my feeling. It's not my self-esteem. It's not what others. It's what God, the righteous judge, has declared. And he, here he declares, I've heard the cry of the Spirit. It's so solid. You are glorified in my sight. I am bringing you to that place. It's as good as done in my vision and in my mind. So, as we're kind of getting close to the end of Romans 8, where we looked at all this sanctification stuff, and now I just sit here going, okay, this is your desire. This is where you want to take me. You want me to be conformed in the image of Christ. You want me to be more like Jesus. And it's guaranteed you're going to bring me there. And you are helping me do this. The big thing that we see over and over and over again in Romans 6, 7, and 8 is simply this. Feed the spirit. Don't feed the flesh. Because there is the train track of glorification that the spirit has put you on if you're a believer. So the more roadblocks we put, the more flesh that we feed, then the slower the train. It's still guaranteed, but the slower the train. But the more I feed the spirit and the less I feed the flesh, then the quicker that train goes. And the, the, the quicker I'm able to see 2 Corinthians 3.18 being transformed into the image of Christ from glory to glory by the Spirit of God. I'm able to see that glory to glory happen much more quickly. It's a little bit less like glory to, let's wait for 500 miles, then glory. It's just like glory to glory to glory to glory. The, the growth is more rapid as I do not walk in the flesh and feed the flesh but feed the Spirit of God and walk in the Spirit of God. I can't self-improve, but I feed the Spirit, and He grows me and transforms me and conforms me into the image of Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, let me pray for you. Father, we just pray and ask now that you'd really help us because we so long for this. We want that growth and that transformation. We want to be moving down that track. And so we, help, we pray, Lord, that you would help us by the power of your Holy Spirit. We want to be conformed like Jesus, the love that Jesus had, the patience Jesus had, the self-control and discipline that Jesus had, the beautiful words that Jesus had. We want to have all that, Lord. We know that someday it will come, but we're praying that we be able to experience as much as is humanly possible here on this side of eternity. Help us, Lord, we pray.